Thank you for listening to the Competition Committee podcast, where we make sports more fun for the fans. Check out new podcasts every Thursday. Welcome back, everyone, to Season 2 of the Competition Committee Podcast. I am your host, Parker, and today I have the hiccups. We also have a great show lined up for you today. We have a quick breakdown of some NFL teams who we think are going to take a step back this year and also some teams who we think are going to improve from last year. We have a fun little game called Highly Leveraged Over and Under that we're going to play. We're going to talk about some college football on Friday night. And of course, finish it off with some emails our listeners have sent us. Of course, I am joined as always by my colleague and my compadre, JJ. We also want to welcome in our regular committee pundit, David. How are you today, sir? And welcome to season two. I'm doing great. I've been so looking forward to this. I had such a great time in season one, and I'm ready to kick it off with season two with a bang. All right. We are excited as well. Not only excited for this podcast season two, but we're also excited for this upcoming NFL season. And to kind of segue into that, we have some teams who we think we are going to kind of expect some regression and also some things we want to expect some step ups from some of these NFL teams. And I want to start with JJ. Who do you think is going to take a step back this year? I'm going to pick the Vikings. I think the Vikings are going to be significantly worse than their record last year. Last year, they were 13-4, and a very good season. However, there were nine games that they won that were one-score games. They were, again, Hmm. nine and zero in one-score games. That is luck, and it's not sustainable. You should only win about four and a half of your one-score games. Now, there are other reasons they're not going to be good, but I'm going to hang my hat on that. They were too lucky last year. And I'm not the only one that thinks they're not going to be good this year. Their manager, and I'm going to have a hard time saying his last name, Adafo Manasa. Did I get it right, Parker? (laughs) Good enough. He thinks they're not going to be good, and he's an analytics guy. And you can tell he thinks they're not going to be good because they traded away Dalvin Cook. They traded away Adam Thielen, and they have not extended Kirk Cousins. So I think they're going to be worse. I think they're going to be a whole lot closer to a 500 team, and I'm going to predict they do not make the playoffs. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I I hear a lot of that going around of the one-score games that they were undefeated in. That's just not sustainable, and they're they're definitely due for some regression. And, you know, they definitely lost their first game against the Bucs. Go Bucs. They got a tough game coming up on Thursday night, so we'll see what they do. Uh, But that's a good one. David, what do you got? For my regression, I've picked the Eagles. Uh, They were 14-3, and and uh, they went to the Super Bowl. And if we all remember, they lost in a somewhat boring – boring might not be the best word, but um, anticlimactic ending to the Chiefs. And I put a great game until the last two minutes. For sure, 100%. I've put together a few stats uh, about the losers of the Super Bowl and how they have fared in the next year. 
Only 14 times has the team that lost the Super Bowl got back to the conference championship, and that's a 26% return rate. Uh, And only eight of those have they'd actually got back to the Super Bowl, which is 15%. Only three times or three times have the team won the Super Bowl, which is about 6%. And not to bore you with any more stats, but five times those teams have gotten back to the Super Bowl and lost. What's interesting about Philadelphia last year is that they had the easiest schedule. This year, they were predicted to have the hardest schedule, and they were the preseason Super Bowl favorites at plus 650. With all that being said, I do think that they will regress, and my prediction is they will be 10-6. and six. They will make the playoffs, but they will lose in the divisional round. I'm not sure we often think enough about how much the, the strength of your schedule matters. I mean, if you play easy teams, you can get easy wins. If you're forced to play tough teams, you know, it's a whole lot harder to win a game. And and just the fact that they went from the easiest schedule to the hardest projected schedule, schedule is a big difference. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I know we're one week into the NFL season. They did not look good week one. I don't know if it's just some rust that they have, that their starters didn't play in the preseason, but – they did not look very good in week one. I know they have a big game on Thursday night, so we'll see if they can come back. But you know, you might be onto something, David. Well, let's hope. Parker, what do you have? I have the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they have a lot of hype coming into this year. They played really, really well in the preseason, but it's a team that I feel like is going to take a step back. They were 9-8 and eight last year with a point differential of minus 38 last year. A couple things for them. They have a very hard schedule. They play the 49ers this year, who they already lost. They play the Browns twice, who have proven to be one of the elite teams of this year. They play the Ravens twice this year, who we already know is an elite team. They play the Bengals twice, who we know is an elite team. And they play the Patriots this year, who has a track record, Bill Belichick, of just dismantling rookie QBs. Some people might argue, is Kenny Pickett a rookie QB? Well, he didn't really play a full season last year. I'm considering him a rookie QB. So that's already one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight losses, in my opinion, already. Another thing going for them or not going for them is their offensive line and their running game. Their offensive line is atrocious. And they haven't had a consistent running game since 2016 with Le'Veon Bell. In my opinion, there might be some stagnant coaches on the Pittsburgh side. I feel like they treasure loyalty too much in that organization. I'm not saying it's completely Mike Tomlin's fault, but there hasn't been much shakeup in that coaching staff in a long time. And they haven't figured out that offensive line in a while. They haven't had a consistent run game. And I really don't think Kenny Pickett is going to have a step up from his freshman campaign last year. So they had a very rough outing against the 49ers in week one. And I think it just shows, you know, having a defensive minded head coach with a young quarterback, it doesn't really have a great formula for success. You know, just picking the 49ers, for example, they have a brilliant head coach. Um, offensive-minded head coach, 
and they can take a quarterback like Brock Purdy and turn him into a stud. But for the Pittsburgh Steelers, they have Mike Tomlin, known for his defensive acumen, trying to coach up a young quarterback like Kenny Pickett. I just don't see that turning out this year for them. I feel like they need a fresh new set of eyes, a new fresh coordinator, offensive coordinator for them this year. I don't feel like they're going to do better than 9-8. and eight. We'll see, but that's just a team that I feel like is going to regress. They're in a really tough division right now. If, if the Browns turn out to be a good team, it's going to be hard to win games in that division. Their defense is dominant. They're, the, the Browns' defensive line is incredible, and I just I do not feel like Pittsburgh is going to beat them at all this year. So we'll see. Let's, let's go ahead and take a look at some teams that we feel like is going to take a step forward. JJ, who do you got? Well, it's good to be positive after a lot of negativity. <laughs> Here we go. I'm going to pick the Rams. The reason I'm going to pick the Rams is because they're a good football team and they got a great coach. Now, they were awful last year. Record was 5-12, and 12, and, of course, that was coming off a Super Bowl win. So we know that, in essence, they're a good team. And, again, 18 months ago, we thought their, their coach was the most brilliant mind in the NFL. So they have that going for them. They also have the fact that they last year they were the second most injured team. The Broncos were the most injured team, and they were the second most injured team, but their injuries were to more key positions. Stafford, Cup, and Donald all missed half the season. So they had their star players sitting on the bench instead of playing. And the last reason they're going to get better, and this is almost a cheat, is because they were so bad. There's just no way a 5-12 and 12 team with that much talent is going to be 5-12 and 12 again. So they're going to be a lot better. I think they'll make the playoffs. In a dominant win against the Seattle Seahawks in week one, I don't feel like a lot of people expected them to win that game. And even without Cooper Cup, a lot of people thought that they were going to tank this year. There is no way when Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford are on the same side of the ball that they're going to tank. So I think you're right. I think they're going to – I think they're poised for a great season this year. David, you're here. Who do you got? Well, I'm going to go a little bit north to my Chicago Bears. They were three and fourteen last year, worst record in the league. They had the number one draft pick. I mean, honestly, the only way to go is up from there. If we're being honest, and last year. They had seven games within seven points of their uh, – that were decided by seven points, and they only won one of them. So they were essentially the opposite of the Vikings. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, they went two and one in the first three games, and they won one game out of the next uh, 14. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty bad. I mean, some might say they tanked. You never know, but – it's it's possible. But on the upside, this is the second year of their both their head coach and their general manager. So you would think they kind of got to, after a year, they got to get their players in order. They have the fifth youngest roster. And before free agency, they had the most cap space of any team. And not to hurt the, the Jets fans. 
They don't have Aaron Rodgers in their division anymore, which you would think would help at least to get them from last place of NFC North to uh, at least third, which, you know, little victories here. My prediction, eight and nine, and they missed the playoffs, but they are not last in the NFC North. From one historically bad team to another, I'm going to pick the Detroit Lions, who I think is poised to make the playoffs and potentially make a run. This team went nine and eight last year with the arguably worst defense in the entire league last year. So I feel like with nothing else said, with just a average decent defense, they can make huge improvements. Their offense is stacked. They have one of the best offensive lines in the whole NFL. Their offense is elite. If Jared Goff can just be a game manager, give the ball to some playmakers, they're going to win some games. They drafted a very dynamic running back in Jameer Gibbs, who they think very highly of. They have Amon Ross, A. Brown. They're very, very deep in almost every single position that they have. They had a huge, huge, huge win in week one against the Kansas City Chiefs. They're an elite team. They have an elite offense. And if, as long as they have an average defense, there is no problem with them getting over nine wins this year and potentially try to win that division. So that is my team, Detroit Lions. Well, Parker, your choice makes David and me and my choice seem cowardly. I picked a team with only five wins and said they'd get better. David picked a team with only three wins and said they would get better. You had the guts to pick a team with nine wins and say they'll get better. If you're right, your prediction's worth more than ours. I just feel like it, there's it's impossible for them not to get better with a nine-win team with the worst defense in the NFL. They have to be. Please. Anyways, folks, we're going to take a brief break. When we come back, we'll play Highly Leveraged Over Under. Parker, did you and Allie get to check out that Bucky's in Crossville? Boy, did we. Bucky's. All the things you hate about Cracker Barrel with none of the good home cooking. Welcome back. Parker's handed me the microphone, and we're going to play a new game called Highly Leveraged Over Under. The rules are pretty simple, and our listeners are pretty smart. David, you are the guest. You get to select first. Pick a number between one and eight. One and eight. Ooh, I'll go seven. Seven. Ah, this is a golf one, so you'll probably, you'll probably like it. Here's the question. How many hours of golf were broadcast on national television in the U.S. in 2019? Wow. 52 weeks at probably 30 hours a week. I will say we'll do a nice round number of 1,800. 1,800 hours. Now, because this is highly leveraged, you get to pick a number of one to four. How confident are you in your answer? I'll go three. Okay. So the number is three. Parker, this is your chance to steal this answer. Do you think he's over or do you think he's under? Man. He said 1,800 hours. 
2019 was a big year in golf. We got Tiger Woods winning the Masters, Rory McIlroy winning the Tour Championship that year. But I think f- you're just showing off. That doesn't have anything to do with how many of hours there were on television. That 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 is that is very impressive. I'm gonna go over. You think you think the number is higher than 1,800? No idea, but I'm gonna go over. Okay. You are incorrect, David. You win three points, and the actual number was 1,150 hours. In the ballpark. So you were not that far off. Oh, wow. I'm impressed. I'm impressed that you were within 1,000. The the problem with that is I might have watched most of them. <laughs> Parker, pick a number. One to, one to eight. Don't pick seven. Give me eight. What is the total number of MLB players to play in an all-star game since its inception in 1933? That, I'll go ahead and tell you, is 91 games. Now, this is the total number of players. Many players played more than once in an all-star game. All right, just wild guess. I'm going to say... 2,500 players. 2,500 players. How would you like to leverage that guess? What's my highest I can do? One, two, three, or four. Give me four. Okay. David, do you think he's, do you think the number is over his guess or under his guess? I'm going to say under. And you are correct. The actual number of players. Is seventeen hundred and thirty-seven. Dang it! Had nineteen hundred and eleven. That's pretty impressive. But I'm pretty impressed that you got twenty-five hundred. Was relatively close. Okay, David, pick a number one to six. Five. Five. This one might be embarrassing for not for you not knowing, but I'll admit I didn't know it. How much is the two thousand and twenty-three? NFL salary cap per team. Ooh. Oh no. Um two hundred and five million. Okay. Parker, do you think the true the right answer oh, is I get, over I, that? I get to, oh, I, I get to leverage. get to leverage it. I'll say one. Okay. Parker, do you think the true number is over? Two hundred and five million or under two hundred and five million. I believe it is under, and I'm gonna make a guess at one ninety, hundred and ninety million under. Well, you're incorrect. Wow. The true number this year is two hundred and twenty four point eight million. Oh I am very I am very impressed. Both of you guys were within about 15%. I, I fear that I would have been off by 100%. <laughs> Over or under, Jim? What are you going to wait? I, I don't know. But <laughs> right, now, right now, the slaughter is on. It is currently 8 to 0. Parker, pick a number. 6. 6. Okay. What year did the NFL expand to 32 teams? 
1998 is your guess. Do you think the true number is over that or under that, David? Oh, wait. Leverage the leverage it. Oh, Parker. Uh, two. Okay. David, do you think it's over that being later than that or under that being before that? I'm going to say over in 1999. 2002, it is over. So the, the, the slaughter continues. Now it's 10 to nothing. <laughs> David, pick one to four. Three. What is the average number of baseballs used by the MLB during a season? So this is the total number of balls used during the season, not just the ones used in the game. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to say 800,000. That seems way high. That's so stupid. That seems just ridiculous. What was the official guess? 800,000. That seems 800,000. I don't know. Dumb. Okay. I will go under and say 350,000. Okay, you are incorrect. So David <laughs> scores again. It's now eleven to nothing. It's over a hundred thousand. No, it's over. It's eight hundred fifty thousand. <laughs> David. David was within fifty thousand of getting the average number of baseballs utilized by the MLB. What, <laughs> David? David, you are amazingly good at guessing. <laughs> okay, Parker, you're now losing. 12 to nothing. Thank you. Uh, you could pick one, two, or four. <laughs> so defeated. <laughs> four. <laughs> four. How many unique events awarding gold medals were there in the 2020 Tokyo Olympics? I'm going to say 36 unique gold uh, medal events. 36. Okay, what would you like to leverage that? Oh, one damage control. Oh, I think it's higher, and I'm going to guess 128. It is 339. So, David, you are correct. What? And and somehow you leveraged that one. Somehow we have a mistake here because we now have three one leverages, (laughs) but it's not making any difference. I can't even I can't even name thirty six of the gold medal events. I mean, there's probably thirty six in swimming oh, alone. Absolutely, and diving, and yeah, I guess you're right. Cross country, synchronized and swimming. Running. There's so many events. Track and field. I thought the number I thought the number was going to be way higher than three hundred and thirty nine. Anyway, okay. I only watched one hundred twenty seven of them though. <laughs> David, one or... 128. David, one or two? One. 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 This is one that you might actually get right. How many Tour How many tour de France wins did Lance Armstrong have before they stripped him of his titles? Seven. You're going to say seven. How would you like to leverage that? Well, I only have four left, so... Four. Oh, by the way, you got it correct. So, there is no opportunity for Parker to steal. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Baby! Does that mean I get four points? Yeah, so you are 
4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Mercy rule. Mercy rule. 16 to 0. Mercy rule. This is your last, this is your last chance, Parker. And this is one that you might get right. What is the proper pressure for an NFL football? Proper pressure for an NFL football. Where's Tom Brady? What's the unit of uh, pounds per square inch? Pounds per square inch. I guess it could be inches of mercury or something like that. But in this case, it is pounds per square inch. Let's go Pascal's. Oh, I don't know. (laughs) No idea. I'm trying to remember the trial of Tom Brady and... You you do a little bit less with math than David and I. I'm kind of curious what your guess is going to be. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> you, you may be off by a factor of ten. <laughs> I'm going to do nine. Nine psi. Yes. Okay. I don't know what you could leverage it at, but don't leverage it one because we already have three ones. I he's think got four. You, he's got four left. You have a four. No, he left. lost. Oh, it doesn't matter. I think I used We've already a used a four. I think there's a three left. You can leverage okay. it with three. So do you think it's higher than that, David, or lower than that? <laughs> I'm going higher. <laughs> higher is correct. I know. I know it is. <laughs> it's thirteen pounds for sure. I, know. I was gonna so- guess I was gonna guess fifteen. <laughs> I was thinking about a tire and I knew it was thirty and get Half of that, I don't know. I thought we were guessing how much it was when Tom Brady used them. In the- oh, that's good point. That's good point. Well, Slightly deflated. I don't know that we've nine. ever had it. Uh, we've uh, never had a clean sweep. We this this is. Uh, gosh, is I wish I had a broom around. One, two, one, two, three, four <laughs> times two. It's twenty. It's twenty. Let the, twenty to nothing. Let the record show: oh, two baby. engineers good at math versus one business major. <laughs> well, I've got. I'm in a. I'm in a laughing, coughing fit. I have got to get us out here. We we are going to take a break now, and we're going to come back with what I think is a uh, an idea for college football. See you in a minute. Game is rigged. Parker, what took you guys so long to get here? Well, we stopped by Bucky's to get some gas and it took forever. Bucky's, creating traffic congestion at your exit 10 times as bad as Chick fil A on Saturday. Welcome back, everybody, to the competition committee. I am still licking my wounds from that atrocious performance in that game we just played. Nonetheless, we are going to move forward with an idea that JJ has for some Friday night college football action. Tell us a little bit more about it, JJ. Well, I enjoyed watching the Camping World Kickoff Classic. It was a good game early in the season between two teams that are non-conference teams. And I got to thinking to myself, why can't we do this every week? I'm going to propose a, I guess we're going to call it Friday night challenge or Friday night classic that happens every week during the college season. Here's what I propose. A network, somebody, maybe Fox Sports, 
somebody who doesn't really have their fingers in college football the way that ESPN does, or maybe it's Apple TV, maybe it's Hulu, but somebody sponsors a Friday night football game similar to the Camping World Kickoff Classic, where two teams who are non-conference teams, who are significant teams, teams that you would expect to be ranked in the top 20, play each other at a neutral site that's fairly close. For example, Clemson might play Tennessee and they might play in Atlanta. But you would have teams like that, or again, LSU and Florida State were perfect examples. They do this every Friday night, so they're not going head-to-head with major college football. They're not going head-to-head with the NFL. I know they're going head-to-head with local high school football, but I guess I think that is is there is still going to be a significant crowd available that does not go to high school football games. There's a part two to this proposal that I'm going to introduce after you boys criticize part one. What do you guys think? I think it's a terrible idea. Oof. It's the worst night of watching anything. And I understand LSU, FSU, but it's the first week of college football. Everyone's excited. Everyone has their hopes up. But there's a reason why politicians, agents, anyone put anything out on a Friday night. It's because everyone do- they, they don't care. They don't read about it. And it disappears by Sunday or Monday, I should say. So while I think you will still get the diehard fans, I think your casual people are going to be out going out to dinner, doing whatever they do on a Friday night, but they're not going to be blocking off their schedules to watch college football. I will just say, I think the exact opposite. I feel like they want to get their weekend started. They might even take the Friday, go travel, go tailgate. I like the idea of starting the weekend off the night before the full college football slate of games on Saturday morning. You know, starting the weekend with the showcase game on Friday night, I think it's a great idea. Um, It would just, I think you're right, JJ, would have to pick some sort of, you know, viewing channel that doesn't really have a stake in college football already. I think Amazon might have a good pitch for this, but I think it's a good idea. So, so David, you're... The reason you don't like it is you don't think it'll get watched, right? I don't think – I think from a rating standpoint, I don't think that it it would do anything to help the Friday night ratings, which historically is the worst night of any night to watch football. There's 300 million people in the United States. <laughs> if you could get 5% of them to watch the game, it would be an astronomical hit. You're talking about – you're talking about networks that are thrilled when they get 1.5 million viewers on something. So it's not, you know, ESPN might not be interested in it and NBC might not be interested in it. But I guess I would argue that one of these other networks trying to get their foot in the door would see success at a lower at a lower value than you're thinking of success. That's my argument. Another thing is they might have to schedule this out years in advance or possibly even tweak their schedules a bit because 
these college football athletic programs schedule their schedules years in advance. So this, you know, Texas versus Alabama that they scheduled, this happened, you know, four or five years ago, they tried to schedule this. So how they try to, you know, maybe move a game to a Friday night or how would they, you know, try to make this work logistically, who knows, but that would be another thing to think about. I, I, I think you do schedule it ahead of time and you do take the risk of scheduling it and you're scheduling it when a team is a top 20 team. And by the time this rolls around, they may not, they may be an awful team. So you would have some problems like that. I, none of you brought up what I thought was going to be the criticism. I thought the criticism was going to be why in the world would the colleges participate in this? Oh, that's money. Everything's money. You pay them enough, they'll come. But again, you're taking them away from a home game because you're taking you're taking Georgia away from playing Alcorn State. And and when they play Alcorn State, they pay Alcorn State whatever, 1.5 million, but they get to keep the gate for everybody that walks through the door and they make a lot of money that way. So, I thought you were going to say what is the incentive for the teams to want to do it. And I guess I would I would think that the coaches probably don't want to do it because they don't want another hard game. They'd rather play Alcorn State than they would have to play Clemson or someone. They're not going to like it. But I think the athletic directors, clearly they would have to make as much money, at least as much money playing this game as they would at home game or there wouldn't be any incentive. But here's my part B. That network guarantees that every commercial that runs during that game will have a player from one of those teams on the commercial. So that is taking uh, uh, the image and likeness money and handing it straight to the players. So not only is the team getting paid, for this, the players are getting paid, and I think it works inside the rules because they're not getting paid because they play for the school. They're getting paid because Amazon or Fox, the Fox Sports Network, is insisting that every commercial they run have a player from that team in the commercial. But that impacts the player specifically, not the school, though. That's right, but you know what it does do. It means when Kentucky shows up in somebody's house, they can say, in two years, we have got a Friday night classic game. Mm -hmm. And on that Friday night classic game, there's going to be probably 25 of our players who win commercials. And there's a good chance you're going to be one of those players. They can't guarantee it, but Mm -hmm. they're going to say it is an available opportunity. And I think these young men – would be interested in having their 30 seconds on television. Absolutely. It is a recruiting tool. I mean, I agree with that aspect of it, but, but the Gators and the Bulldogs play in Jacksonville every year at the largest cocktail party in, in the world, quote unquote. Do you think they make more money playing in Jacksonville or do you think they more make more money playing Alcorn state? Now this kind of actual, now that I say that out loud, it kind of, Helps your point, but that's how they would get money is that they would get paid because of the ratings for that. If you could actually get people to watch it on a Friday night, which I'm not sold on. 
I guess the reason I think it should happen on a Friday night is because it doesn't have to go against college football that would probably be better games. Because, you know, there are so many games on a Saturday afternoon or a Saturday night. From noon till midnight, there's almost always a competitive game on. And there's a good chance that those games would be bigger deals than this game. Because this game might have two teams that were relevant two years ago or three years ago when they scheduled it, but not relevant now. So the only reason I think it happens on Friday night is because I'm trying to do it where you can eliminate the competition and somebody, Fox Sports, somebody gets a presence. Yeah, I think with this expanded playoff too, it it makes more opportunities for you know some of the lesser powerhouse teams to get a standalone game in front of national television and kind of make their own pitch to try to make the playoffs against some of these bigger teams assuming that these standalone games are against you know some well-known teams that are in the hunt to be in the playoffs so that's another point as well i think it's a good idea jj do we want to put a vote to it i will start Anytime there's an opportunity for have a to have a standalone big game on a Friday night, I'm all in. Give me a nine out of ten. David, what you got? I'm gonna say a four. Ooh. Okay. We got a nine and a four. I like the idea. I would give it a seven if that was an option. I'm not crazy about it. I'll give it an eight. So we got an eight, a nine, and a four. Uh, not enough to pass. And I guess we do not extend it to the executives at uh, Amazon or Apple TV. No, we'll keep this one ourselves. We'll take a brief break. When we come back, we'll dig into some emails our listeners have sent us. And also, we each of us have a bold prediction that we think is going to come true for this next week. Stay tuned and find out. Parker, did you and Allie buy anything at Bucky's? Yes, we did. Spent $150, got some greasy stuff, some salty stuff, and a stupid looking t shirt with a beaver on it. Bucky's. Walk into a crowded gas station, spend $250, and three days later realize you have nothing left of value. All right, we are back and ready to dig into the email bag. This is from Kimberly from Iowa. She writes, Hey guys, I hope you got to see the record-breaking Cornhuskers volleyball game. The 92,003 people in attendance were the largest for a women's sporting event ever. I think this is worth mentioning because it supports your proposal to tie professional women's basketball to existing college fan bases. A lot of people will watch women's sports if they have attachment to the team. No attachment is stronger stronger than collegiate alliances. What do you guys think? Well, I got to see the game. That was pretty cool. They filled up that football stadium. Plus, they it didn't seat quite that many, so they had standing room only. They had people on the field. And I guess I think she's right. I think it does prove the point that that people are willing to cheer for cheer and follow women's sports if they have a legitimate rooting interest. Mm -hmm. When you start an NBA team, it's hard to get a fan base. But if you use that existing college fan base, 
people will watch, people will attend games. And, you know, this volleyball game was evidence of it. That was crazy. I saw a little bit of it. And I play in a little volleyball league um, in Chattanooga. And there's nobody watching me serve. And I already feel the pressure when I serve. If there were 92,000 people watching me serve a volleyball, (laughs) I would cripple under the pressure. That's insane. So props to the women's volleyball team in, in Nebraska. 100% 100% agree with both of your statements. All right, next. Nice little segue into this email. Maurice from Atlanta writes, I got your solution to the WNBA problem. Stop forcing the players to dress like men. I'm not saying they should dress like women's volleyball players or women in track and field. Just dress appropriately feminine. Maurice from Atlanta. Who wants to take a stab at this one? I mean, I don't, (laughs) but I will. Go for it. (laughs) I've been married for 13 years. My opinion on females attire has never mattered, and I don't (laughs) intend for it to matter now. My, My question would be, what is appropriately feminine? Like a skirt? Below the knee skirt, above the knee skirt. What are we talking here? Okay. At the risk of getting in trouble. I, I, I'm i going to just use an analogy. <laughs> if, if you were trying to make a summer blockbuster and it is some kind of rom-com adventure thing, think, think uh, romancing the stone kind of thing, and you needed the man to look attractive you would you could dress him a lot like an, a basketball player you could put him in a tank top you could have him wearing long the, his shorts wouldn't need to be ridiculously short and that is about as attractive as a man can be you can have some muscle <laughs> showing and everything but what you wouldn't do is take the female lead in that and dress her in the same clothes she would look frumpish in a in a shirt like that and those big baggy shorts. Instead, you would have her wearing something where she looks attractive. These, these basketball players often are tall and athletic like a model. I again, what this guy's saying, what Maurice is saying, and I wonder if that's his real name. <laughs> Uh, what Maurice, what Maurice is saying, is just have them wear something that a woman would wear if she were going to play tennis or going to a park. She wouldn't wear those clothes, and women can wear whatever they want. But it seems odd that they encourage them to wear things that look manly. Mm. Well said. I don't think there's much else to say after that. I think you really hit the nail on the head there. Um, David, you got anything? David's David's not even agreeing with me. He's just stopped talking. As I said, I have never uh, give opinion on women's attire, and I am not going to do now. I think the right answer would be something that looks nice. Anytime any of our significant others ask us 
Anything about what they're wearing looks nice. <laughs> what what's the old joke? Do these jeans make my butt look fat? <laughs> no, baby, your butt makes your butt look fat. <laughs> All right, on to something sports really or by the way, David, that's a wonderful lavender shirt you're wearing. Thank you. It it does look good on my complexion. Here's our third email. Committee members, I've been following F1 since 2021. The battle between Max and Hamilton in 2021 was epic. The start of the 2022 season with Ferrari battling head-to-head against Red Bull while Mercedes was struggling was thrilling. However... Since mid-2022, Red Bull has dominated. In fact, in the 26 races since Austria, July of 2022, Red Bull has won every single race except one. Typically, Max gets out in front in the first lap and drives alone until he starts lapping other cars. This makes watching F1 boring. This would have been extremely exciting, well-fought season with three drivers competing for the championship if Max wasn't around. I have a solution. Ignore Max and watch the race for second place. I've done this for four races, and the races have been thrilling to watch. Can you boys think of any other sports or sports eras where ignoring first place and focusing on second place would make sports more fun for the fans? Trent from Nevada. Before we answer this question, I think we ought to look at what Red Bull and specifically Max Verstappen are doing. F1 is like golf. In golf, you have to beat every player playing. In tennis, you get to beat every player, but you get to beat them one at a time. He is beating 20, no, 19 other drivers, and he's doing it at this rate of 23 out of 24 times. And that is just unheard of. Tiger Woods, in his best day, didn't win most of the time he played. This is winning virtually every time you go out and you're playing the full field. This is astounding. Yeah, I'm trying to think of there's any other sport that's similar to this not baseball definitely not football maybe a little bit there in college football with Alabama but it was still exciting to watch and there was a chance that Alabama would lose well I think I mean it has to come down to a a racing event except for what you have already said JJ about golf because I'm struggling to come up with anything where if you've lost, you get to continue playing, right? I mean, like the 2000, as you brought up Tiger Woods, the 2000 U.S. Open, Tiger won by 15 shots. Second place, no one really cared about. And the reason no one really cared about is because that's one tournament for one week. Now, yes, we could get into what Tiger did after that or whatnot, but golf isn't necessarily... I mean, yes, they do have a season-long thing, but it that doesn't matter compared to the majors. What F1 is, for my limited understanding, it is a season-long thing, and he is just absolutely beating the crap out of people every week. So in that particular sense, I would think that that's what you got to watch. 
It's the second place because the first place is not exciting. Otherwise, what are you doing? I thought about this a little bit, and I have one sporting era and one sporting event that's a little bit similar. Hussein Bolt from 2008 till 2017, a 10-year period, he raced in 23 championship races, and he won 20 of them. That's the closest I can think of, the closest I could think of, of something where someone has to beat everybody. Because, again, you don't race people one at a time. You race them all at the same time. However, that was spread out over 10 years. What Max is doing is spread out over right now, I think, like 16 months that he has won virtually everything. So I can't. And the other thing about watching a 100-yard, I guess it's a 100-meter dash or the 200-meter, I guess he ran both of those, is you're watching something that takes 10 seconds or 20 seconds. So it's still exciting you can watch something for 20 seconds and watch somebody whip everybody and it's enjoyable. It's less enjoyable if you're watching it for two hours and someone is whipping everybody. Mm. So I cannot think of any other sporting event that even comes close where watching second place would be interesting. Maybe the French open when Nadal was just killing everybody on clay. I mean, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, but you're not rooting for, Whoever Nadal's playing, I mean, there's no consolation. Uh, there might be, but I assume there's no consolation match in that. That that's right. So, so you could watch. I, I don't know who you say is the second. I don't even know who you say is second place, because if Nadal <laughs> automatically wins, the guy who came up on his side of the bracket, he had to lose earlier than the guy that didn't play him till the finals. Yeah. So, so again, it's tennis. Tennis is is dominatable because you play people one at a time. Golf is not dominatable because you have to play everybody at the same time. I mean, you and could, F1 like I said, you could go into racing. Yeah. You could go to NASCAR, right? Or That's right. That's probably where you're going to find something like that. Or going back to Lance Armstrong, like you could go there. back to, um, you know. Tour. There you go. The Tour de France. He won seven of them in a row. But he's an American, and I'm an American. Oh, yeah. And I loved every minute of seeing him demolish the German Jan Orwin. <laughs> so it's all racing, as I think, other than golf, unless there's something that I'd. You're right. Racing, racing is a sport where you, you, you compete against everybody at one time. And most sports, you compete with everyone one at a time. Interesting. Yeah. I think that's a good email. It is a good email. Trent from Nevada. We appreciate it. Please continue to send us more thought-provoking emails. It is time, though, for some bold predictions. And just to clarify, how we are classifying this as a bold prediction is anything that has two-to-one odds um, favored against it to happen. So, you know, plus 200 on the money line, bets of that nature, we are classifying that as a bold prediction. Anybody who wants to start us off, David, JJ, who's got a bold prediction they want to share? I'll go first. I think this is a, my understanding anyway, is that whoever's on this awesome podcast gets to make predictions every week. 
I'm just going to go with golf every time. It is my passion. And this week, they're playing the Fortinet out in Napa. Justin Thomas, I'm going to pick him to win this tournament. He had a very rough year. He didn't make the PGA Tour FedEx Cup playoffs. He's on the Ryder Cup team. But this week, he is plus 1,400. Oh, that's a big underdog. He is the second favorite after Max Homa, who's won it the last two years, that plus 750. Is this the tournament before the Ryder Cup? That is correct. So this year, they're playing. It's the start of the fall series. He better whip it into shape. Well, he's already made the team, so it doesn't really matter. But That's what I'm saying. Like A lot of people feel like he didn't deserve, including myself, didn't deserve to be in it. JJ, who do you got? Well, I'm going to go back to F1. The race this week is the uh, Singapore Grand Prix. It's a street race or street track. We haven't had one of those in a few weeks. It's pretty obvious that, that Max will win the race, and Perez, his teammate, is in the also in the best car is very good on street track, so he will probably get second. But I am going to predict that Lando Norris gets on the podium. I'm not going to limit myself to third place. Maybe he wins, but I'm going to put him on the podium, and you can get those odds at plus 220. So I am not as daring as David in his, uh, his prediction. I do have a couple of reasons that I think Lando Norris has a chance of winning. This is a what they call a high downforce race, and the McLaren has brought some upgrades. And in the last two high downforce races, he made the podium. So I think he's got a good chance of doing it. I'm a little bit worried that Alonzo is going to beat him, and I, I may lose. I wish I could pick both of them for my bold prediction because there's a good chance Alonzo is going to get that place as well. So anyway – Lando Norris, F1, Singapore Grand Prix is my bold prediction. Well, I'm going to finish this off in the NFL, and this is quite a bold prediction here. I'm going to go with the LA Rams to knock off the San Francisco 49ers money line plus 255 to win the game. Now, this is, by most accounts, a pretty outlandish pick, but... I feel like the 49ers, and more specifically Brock Purdy, is is due for a bad game. Um, and not just against anybody, but against Sean McVay, who is familiar with the way Kyle Shanahan runs his team. He's familiar with that type of offense. He's going to make sure his defense, led by Raheem Morris, comes up with some sort of game plan to minimize the 49ers' offense 49ers just came off a win in the East Coast against the Pittsburgh Steelers, flying all the way back home, back to the West Coast. Maybe there's some flight, you know, jet lag there. It's a bold prediction, plus 255. Well, I have mixed feelings about your bold prediction. On one hand, it would help my argument that the Rams are going to be an improving team. On the other, is I just picked up Brock Purdy as my... uh, a fantasy football quarterback. So I'm hoping that he plays well because somehow I have was stuck with the Chicago quarterback last week. Oof. And I wouldn't have won mm. except I had the Dallas Cowboys defense who scored 36 points in my fantasy football league by holding the Giants to zero. 
But again, not really related. You're, you're kicking a guy when he's down with the Bears. You know what? That's fine. Justin Fields will uh, he'll he'll pull it together, maybe. That is going to wrap up this week's show. Be a part of the competition committee by sending us your ideas for making sports more fun for the fans, or simply by pointing out a problem that needs to be fixed. Use the links in the show notes to reach us. We need your help to make the competition committee a community. Please text a few of your friends a recommendation and link to our show. It is this easy. Click the three dots in the upper right corner of your phone, select Share, Messages, type the name of three friends, and ask them to check out the show. That's all it takes. Thanks for joining us this week, and look for our new episodes every Thursday. Why, it's a hickory-dackory, Doc.